Training, mindset, integrity, incremental improvement. What can you do better today? Start right here with the Pendola Project. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Pendola Project. I'm your host, Matt Pendola. Today, I have a very special guest with me, and that is the one and only Gabby Williams. I have been working with Gabby for several years now, but uh, I don't. I say the word work, but it's never been work. It is. It's my life's joy and passion to be able to um, to be a part of a process like Gabby's. She's an amazing athlete, but as I always say, and I'll say it again, more importantly, an even better person. So, uh, Gabby, I'm going to let you talk about your career, what you've done, and uh, people will probably know who you are, especially here around Reno, but you're starting to become kind of you know, known throughout the world at this point as a professional basketball player. So, Gabby, uh, how did you get started as an athlete? And uh, you know, even from when you, you were younger as, as a kid, what got you interested in sports? What got you eventually interested in basketball and professionally? Yeah, I mean, I came from a, a basketball family. Uh, older sister played at UNR. Uh, all, of, all of my siblings play basketball. And so, you know, we grew up at, in the basketball camps, at the tournaments, going to my sister's games all the time at UNR. And, uh, I mean, I, I kind of, I didn't really have a choice. Like, it was just the environment that, that I grew up in. Yeah, this it's so really part of your culture. It was just the thing to do right yeah yeah everybody was everybody around you was interested in it but um what do you love about uh, being an athlete what what really draw because the difference though is that you are a professional athlete and you know look it's very rare to be able to to be able to do that so what was the difference do you think between you and and the other people in your culture I don't know. I mean, there's there's so many different things that happened. Um, I mean, I didn't think that I was going to get drafted until I was drafted kind of thing. Like this was never my uh, my mind was never just set on becoming a professional basketball player. I mean, for sure, my sister, she played in Australia and I was so annoying. I just followed her around and wanted to be everything Kayla Williams was. And just I, I just stalked my older sister. Um, but I think and and you, as you know, I did track, and so my mind was set on being a, prof- a professional high jumper. Uh, I got to college and had a lot of ups and downs, and was like, "Well, can I make it professionally?" You know, I'm struggling here, and so when I tell you it, it was a lot of different events that that brought me here. Yeah, the skill sets involved that, that you just brushed past, by the way, <laughs> because I I know that you obviously you did very well in the high jump at, at 15 years old, correct? You went to the Olympic trials and you actually set a world junior record. Am I right? Yep. I mean, I know I'm right. I watched <laughs> you do it. I was, and uh, it's been it's been such an amazing process and journey. And I'm going to say something that you hate, but I'm going to say it so that uh, we can talk about this a little bit. But you're just very talented, right? You have a lot of talent. That's how you got there. That's how it Absolutely happened. Absolutely not. Right? <laughs> so let's talk about that because I will tell you, um, it, and these, these are athletes that really look up to you and respect you. But when I have athletes come in here, what, a lot of times they will say, uh, oh, so so you work with Gabby, man, she's just so talented, right? She's so good. She's so gifted, that sort of thing. And they, they really mean it as a compliment, but uh, I always have that conversation that Gabby works her butt off and she's never taken her talent for granted. And sure, I think we can all probably agree that you've got to be good enough. You've got to have enough attributes to get to the highest levels. And I do know some athletes that just ain't going to get there when they're, you know, five feet tall and they're trying to make it in professional basketball, right? right. I think there's always exceptions to every rule. But uh, there are certain attributes that obviously you probably need to have. And so just discussing this a little bit, I, I always tell the story about when you were a kid and you were eating with your left hand just so you could get used to doing that and not doing everything right-handed. So you've been working on these things a long time, right? Right, and I remember I would always eat with my left hand until uh, I was playing a basketball game and people started to think I was left-handed. And I was like, okay, boom, check. I took that one (laughs) off the list. But, um, yeah, like you already knew, it, it does annoy me a bit when people say, 
oh, she's like the best uh, athlete. She's just so athletic. She's so athletic. And I'm like, when am I going to become a basketball player? Like, when am I going to be more than just athletic? And that was something I, I still kind of struggle with, um, but really struggled with it in, in college. I was like, I want people to see me for, you know, I, I'm, I, have, I have a high basketball IQ. I can pass. I can dribble. I can do different things. I can read the floor. I'm not just athletic. I'm not just running fast and jumping high. Uh, I can lead. I can talk and communicate. And uh, the way I take care of my body, the way I focus on my body is obviously you've helped me and, and educated me with. Uh, that's that's really really important to me, and I'm very hyper aware of that. So it does bother me when people just think that, you know, I'm I'm not really, I don't have to work as hard when really I'm trying to work harder than anyone, even people who aren't as athletic as me. Yeah, and just not just physically work hard, but mentally. Mm-hmm. And so I, what, I hate to think of it this way, but I was sort of fortunate because you had something unfortunate happen. Mm -hmm. So because of the ACL injury uh, that you had, and I'll let you talk about that just a little bit, but I was um, that that person in your life that, you know, for whatever powers that be, um, I got to be that person to, to help you through that process. But I there's a lot of athletes that uh, have the same type of issue and never bounce back. And I think a lot of it is mental because I've had a lot of athletes that they certainly are strong enough again and they they have the right uh, physical ability again to support their knee and, and, and not get that injury again, but they're fearful and they're, they're afraid that they're going to get injured again. And I think that in itself, it affects their play. And even potentially might even um, affect uh, potential injury because they're not loose and fast or they're, they're not just playing like they used to play. They're guarded. They're more tense. And, uh, you know, I think that has a lot to do with potentially, obviously, it's going to change the way that you, you play. You're not as aggressive maybe anymore, but also just potentially ending your, uh, your career because your mindset is not there and your body is, is tight and tense. Um, can you speak mm-hmm. on that a little bit? I think uh, it was the biggest lesson for me. I mean, um, it's, how I, well, it's how I got in, in touch with you after my first injury. And uh, it was the first time where after meeting you, I was focusing on my nutrition and my body and not just my knee, but, you know, my entire body and how things connect. And I was educating myself. I did all my rehab. And then exactly a year later, I found out that I was that one in 1,000 where my body just rejected the graft I was given. And I think that was the perfect lesson for me because, you know, I did. I felt like I did everything right. I felt like I was improving and it, I still didn't get the outcome that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And that was, it kind of like calloused me mentally because it was like, okay, well, do I just give up now or am I going to do it again? And I think it just made me that much more kind of mentally tougher or just that more, um, much more resilient. But I think it was it was like the perfect lesson for me. Like, okay, you did everything, but are you gonna just cry because you didn't get what you want? Like, how spoiled of that would would, would that have been? So, um, yeah. And now uh, I'm very, very, very focused on on my body and my injury because because of the way I play, I do play very hard. I do work very hard. Uh, I'm really hard on my body, mm-hmm. and all the lessons I've learned from my ACL, I, I can now like we're working on my shoulder, my hips, my ankles, and all these things that connect. And I want to have a, a long career. And I think if I didn't have that ACL injury, I would have, you know, I, before my ACL injury, I wasn't stretching. I wasn't focused on anything, but just how much harder I could work. So now I'm, I'm learning how much the recovery and the preparation is just as important, if not more. Yeah, you, you said it there in that your protocol has become very important to you. And, and I, I brag on that all the time because mm-hmm. you uh, and you came back last week. You've been with me now for uh, last week and this week and um, and another week at least. And we're and I'm I'm just uh, impressed with how you're moving. You have certainly been keeping up with what's important for recovery and and for your protocol so that you can take care of yourself and you know how important that is and you know that this affects your shelf life as a professional athlete but all that being said it just it still requires a lot of maturity and discipline to commit to those things and nobody's going to make you do these things you have to buy in and believe that it actually matters that you do your protocol and uh, especially movements that you found were specific for you to help support 
support your movement. And um, I would like to also just add in your Yukon experience on the mindset side of things, especially though, Gabby, what was it like playing for UConn? Did it help you with now your professional career? Because I know that was a kind of a pressure cooker uh, situation to yeah. be in with UConn, right? And even though I think you you told me at one point, I mean, basically every girl going to UConn was an All-American, right? And you were two-time uh, All-American, number one in the country for basketball in high school. You know, you were the number one in track for your high jump, obviously, record. And uh, just a superstar, uh, McDonald's All-American uh, Player of the Year, Gatorade, all that stuff. I mean, you could just keep going. So you were a superstar going into this program, but then you were like nobody. Mm-hmm. Right. So did that uh, did that program help you? How did how did that program uh, help with your professional career now? I mean, all the accolades you just mentioned, I mean, every other player coming in had the same ones, you know, in in their home state. And so uh, but I think the difference is, you know, there's 24 All-Americans or 24 McDonald's All-Americans, right, that come out of high school. Uh, UConn probably gets like three or four a year. But what happens to the other 20? You know, they're not out winning national champions championships. So that's the difference with UConn. And it's, okay, so we have all these talented players coming in, but then a lot of them end up transferring because they realize how hard it is mentally and physically. And so if you can endure that and if you can buy into to the UConn program, then, then you'll find the success. But for sure, coming into my freshman year, like, I didn't know what I didn't know. <laughs> like, it was – it was um, – really really uh tough for me to adjust because it was like okay no one cares if if i'm not getting it kind of thing like i have to put it on myself to get this because they're gonna win without me like they have the players they have the kids who have already bought in when i came in my freshman year so i was like they're gonna win a national championship and i'm just not gonna be a part of it <laughs> so am i gonna buy in am i gonna uh you know get on onto their level as well or am i just gonna transfer yeah so just a interrupt there real quick but this i always use you as an example and um my athletes again i i i know that they look up to you there's i, I can't think of a single one of my athletes if, if they're a distance runner or not or if they're a basketball player whoever they are they mm-hmm. they recognize what you've you've done and because you've always been so humble and helpful i mean you always talk to the athletes when you're in here and uh, you, you help them with their process and, and whatever you can do, especially, I think, emotional support. You've always done that. So your reputation precedes you. Um, athletes look forward to seeing you in here. When you're in here, they get so excited about talking to you. And But a big thing that I thought about when you're just bringing up those examples is just your readiness, your maturity to say, okay, look, um, I've got to do this. I'm responsible for stepping up. Mm -hmm. If I don't, I mean, they'll just find another All-American and uh, I won't be a part of the process. I I feel that I maybe aged out when it comes to working with this generation of uh, kids coming up. And I Honestly, maybe it's more on me as a coach that I'm just getting old. I don't know. I'd like to see your opinion, get your opinion on this, but more and more so, I am now focused with more professional athletes, but in part, it's because it's trouble. I have trouble connecting. There's a lot of times when I'm working with a talented high school kid who just doesn't get it they're not they won't log they won't learn Mm. they won't they're not getting better they're just relying on their natural abilities and for me i'd much rather get that person who's not as talented but willing to work if they're talented uh, great if they have but if they're good enough we can Mm -hmm. work towards everything else and then quite honestly I'd rather have somebody who's not good enough and mm-hmm. still work with them and just see them progress as an athlete and a person and never become a professional. So, but it, I just feel like in the last five years or so, it's been kind of frustrating, especially uh, with, uh, again, maybe me getting older as a coach, but just losing that connection. Why don't you want to do this and take responsibility? And I feel like helicopter parenting might be a part of it. I feel like just... Um, 
again, I'm just an old man talking here. I feel that uh, everybody's on their phones all the time and they're putting their focus towards that instead mm-hmm. of their future. Or, you know, even even in uh, training, there's a no cell phone sign in in the gym because uh, you're you're not going to be on your cell phone. And I've always been so appreciative that you you always respect those kind of rules. Um, we're here to train guys and we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're not here to check on who wrote what on, on the gram. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I feel like there's so much lost focus, um, with what's going on in up and coming athletes. So I don't know, I, I just said a mouthful, but can you speak on, on that? Well, I think there comes a point when, especially this, this new generation of athletes coming up, there's a choice they have to make where, okay, do you want to be popular or do you want to be great? And uh, some kids choose popular and maybe they'll be successful that way, but they won't be a, a great athlete. And so it just, it's all a decision. And I think, you know, UConn probably started out the same way. I'm sure Oriyama came in and he was just like, I just want kids that are going to buy into me. And, uh, you know, they didn't have the reputation yet to get those star athletes. Now, the, just like you, he's built his program to the point where he can say, okay, now I'm getting star athletes, but I can, I'm also able to make the decision where I don't have to put up with you if you're not going to buy in either. And there gets a point, and that's how you weed them out, and that's how UConn has become the, the dynasty that it is. And same thing with you. You said, you know, I'd rather work with, uh, like, my, my elite group or my kids who just want to buy in because now you have the choice to. <laughs> but before, if you didn't have the choice, then maybe you would have, you know, the, the patience to kind of put up with those kind of kids. But if you don't have to, then, then, you, then you won't, and they're going to miss out on, on like, the, the best trainer in Reno, and that's on them. Thank you for that. That's, that's too that's too kind. But yeah, uh, I guess we could talk. Speaking of training, a little bit about uh, your training and uh, what you've done. Especially, I would say, um, as a professional athlete, I know that it's tough because you are playing year round, and you have uh, WNBA, and then you're playing overseas. So we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. But um, keeping up with your recovery and and being able to give yourself some good um, programming that will support your your play that's always a hard hard adjustment and and uh, in anybody's schedules but especially somebody like yours because you really don't have an off season mm-hmm. the silver lining to to COVID has been that you've actually had a little bit of downtime right right um, so let's um, let's just first talk about what it's been like to try to keep yourself fit year round how do you do that and uh, yeah, what for you? What have, what's been the benefits of taking a little bit of a break here? Yeah, it's it's tough because you know in college we have the preseason, we have summer training to really get into the kind of form you want, and then you get into the basketball shape come season. So it's different when you always just have to be in basketball shape because then your physical form it, it, it's detrimental to it. And me, it's I have a very high pain tolerance. And I say that like not to pat myself on the, on, on the back. It's kind of a curse. <laughs> you know, I, I'm very stubborn, too, when it comes to pain. So I will push myself through an injury until I cannot play sometimes. And uh, that, that was always a, in college, especially. I would play like just wrap me up, band-aid it, and end of season, we'll figure it out. And I'm doing that because I'm so competitive until the end of season. And then I'm like, well, crap, I have another season that starts in five days. Like, <laughs> and I've just stitched myself up, basically. So now I've, I've really had to be real with myself. Like, no, Gabby, yeah, you can probably play with this, but it hurts. So deal with it right now and try to see what can, what can you fix? Because my thing has always been like, oh, it hurts, but I can still play. I can push through it. So uh, as I've become professional and playing these multiple seasons a, a year, I've had to be like, okay, it hurts. How do we fix this? And then let's move on because you have to think about the next team that you're going to be on. You can't just think about this championship you're trying to win now, which just kind of sucks for women athletes. You know, it's not an advantage at all. <laughs> yeah. One thing that I don't think a lot of people do think about this, but making it into the WNBA is actually harder mm-hmm. because there's less slots available for a female uh, athlete, a basketball player, than a male athlete trying to make it in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you've, you've talked to me about just the pressure of being able to keep your performance up to that level where you don't get replaced, where you don't lose your, your job. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, uh, how do you deal with that kind of pressure? Yeah. Um, it's, it's like we talked about earlier. Uh, so every person that's coming into the draft is an elite athlete. 
Um, so if there's 144 slots in the WNBA, 12 teams, 12 players, and now there's even less with the new CBA. So now teams are having between 10 and 11 players. So there's even less spots now. But then you have 36 kids, top athletes, top basketball players in college coming, entering, the, and a lot, half of them are going to get cut. More than half of them are going to get cut coming out of college. And we just it's just not the space. So you have to buy in. You have to buy in. You have no choice because you, so, you are more replaceable than you've ever been when you get to the WNBA. And then on the other side, all of our money is made overseas. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're killing ourselves. We're doing all this stuff to play in the WNBA, but we're like, but I have to make my money still. I need to be healthy for overseas. So I know I probably will always have a job overseas, but um, which isn't the same case for the WNBA. That's, you know, much more replaceable. But at the same time, I still have need to focus a lot on my overseas team because that's where my money is. So why do you think it is that overseas, um, it's not only you get paid so much more, but also just that obviously there's more attention to the sport. And uh, so why do you think we struggle in the U.S. with women's basketball? Um, well, besides, you know, sexism, uh, <laughs> which is the obvious answer. Uh, I think because they, they really, really focus on their athletes from a young age. So my, my team in France, they might, be, um, they might be kids who are playing for Montpellier since they're 12. And they grow up in these programs and they have fans. And, and the city puts a lot of love and energy and resources into their teams uh, from a young age which we don't, you don't see Chicago putting this, those same resources from the city into the Chicago sky. But they actually get a lot of money from cities and from sponsors uh, over there that we just don't get in the States. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So let's talk about your, your training a little bit. And I, I'm just going to jump to this point. Um, I love how humble that you are. So yesterday... You uh, you made a funny comment to me at the end of your training session with me. You said, I was talking a little shit in my head at the beginning <laughs> of the training. And, and then and then uh, you sort of changed your mind about it as you went along. But uh, I've, I've always appreciated the fact that you trust me. But also, I... <sighs> So I'm trying not to throw stones as I talk here because <laughs> that's something that uh, I really don't feel like it benefits anybody. So traditional training programs anyways, I, I, I have problems with how they uh, may have trained you in, in the past, uh, at even places like UConn that I feel like should know better as far as your femur length and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, how deep you're going to squat, how much weight you squat with, what, you know, how, how quickly that you're able to transfer, so that transferability of, of uh, strength to power. I mean, you know, the strength is only as good as your ability to uh, utilize it for your power, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of where... I throw I try to put my ego at the door when I walk in and I kind of mentioned to you yesterday saying well I I never want to be that trainer that puts you on the Instagram um, to get a bunch of likes because I have Gabby Williams on the highest box I have and then some and, and proving that, sh- that that I have this amazing athlete mm-hmm. tra- training with me and then try to take credit for what you can do um, so that being said there are athletes though that they think that my program would be too simple and they're too good for that. Like I don't need to do these basic things. And uh, quite honestly, because I also don't get to see you enough, I'm usually almost always working on the basics with you unless there's a specific need that we have, like when you were getting ready for your seasons at UConn or something, and Mm -hmm. we might do something more power-based before you left. But a lot of times now, it's more of the isometric work and more of just uh, even just postural uh, and auxiliary base. So we're supporting that knee and trying to figure out, for example, um, what we can do for your tendons and, and your, and your past, uh, you know, tendinopathy issues that we we've gone through. And, and that's not the bells and whistles, that type Mm -hmm. of training, but I know it's what is going to get you back and what's going to get you back, uh, stronger and able to utilize your power and transfer that to, to your sport. So that's, um, that's, again, you know, a lot said, but I just would like you to talk a little bit about, uh, your experience with that type of training, because I do think a lot of 
athletes need to hear this mm-hmm. that the that somebody like you that's at your level would say yeah these basics are actually the most important things that i do yeah yeah i mean with with the craziness of my schedule i feel like every time i'm coming back here i'm always just like matt fix me like you know and and so i, I want to get to the point where we're we're progressing but to progress like you have to start from the basics or else we're going to progress or we're going to start from the bells and whistles and then just go downhill from there and uh that's why we always are begging just to have like four to six weeks together so we can so i mean and yesterday um it was just very simple movements and in my head i'm like okay today's gonna be a light day you know it's gonna be a pretty chill day and i was yeah i was talking a little shit and then by the time he finished i'm like i was really dripping in sweat and i was like wait these they're simple but they fire up every muscle and and that's the thing i mean we talk about it all the time i'm i'm sure i have enough muscle it's just turning it on and how do i use it properly how do i how am i the most efficient with it uh and i think that's so important especially with with dual seasons in a year because I'm not going to have this time to to uh, really change my form or change change what I look like or change uh, my muscle capacity. It's just how am I going to use it because I, I, we just don't have the time. You know, how can I be the most efficient with the body that I have, with the muscle I have? And, you know, before, I think a, a lot of the training I was doing was more, like, mental. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to lift as heavy as I can, trying to run as fast as I can, trying to jump on the highest box because it's hard. And it makes you it makes you mentally tougher, but I think I've educated myself a bit more uh, on the importance of how am I using my body right, especially for injury prevention, of course. But to to gain muscle in the right place, to use it the right way, to be the most explosive and in the healthiest way. Yeah, you have a, you're a very strong athlete, and you again you've worked hard for that and i feel like you're 23 now by the way we're 23 but you have been training seriously for well many many years but mm-hmm. again at 15 you're at the uh, olympic trials in in amazing amazing condition already in, in shape at that age so we're talking about uh, over a decade of serious training already and mm-hmm. so you have that kind of density if you will and so again, you know, for me, I try to weigh in if I have an athlete coming in that clearly needs to put on some, uh, some muscle cause they, they do need, uh, some strength adaptions. I'm going to do that with mm-hmm. them. And you, you know, one of the girls in here that I've done that with, uh, Jordan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, again, that's, that's where I will absolutely emphasize that with an with an athlete like that but when i see somebody like you i know that you know muscles that um you know wire together fire together right Mm -hmm. and uh and that's to me if i can just turn on the strength that you have the muscles are uh very dense and strong and the ability is there to transfer that power so now when i give you drills like i did yesterday it's about training your nervous system to its best capacity but to put it in short um at least for right now in this phase i want to kind of get your joints in uh fixed positions more in more of those isometric and yielding isometric positions oscillating isometrics uh will be next right Mm -hmm. and just so i have a progression that i follow but I don't want to grind or uh, get those get uh, any more wear and tear on those joints. I want I want you to be able to actually recover as we train, right. and then also the dual purpose there is that you have a better idea when you're gone and you're away again. That uh, okay, these movements I can actually do. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit of muscle soreness that you would get right now coming back into it but then maintaining those the the training positions and going through the isometrics you're not going to be as sore or not sore at all Mm -hmm. in season and the the nice thing is especially with oscillating isometrics so that's when i just will have you going into like say that uh uh, yesterday, um, I had you doing some cliffhangers off of the box and doing a slow eccentric phase coming down um, off the box, right? Mm-hmm. So like a depth type of uh, position, lunge position. And then we did some a little bit of uh, oscillating work, right, where your right. knee bend is in that fixed position, but you're oscillating. So what, I, what I'm getting to there is that 
we're getting your nervous system well trained up, but we're not grinding away. We're not tearing down the joint. And if anything, we're getting more responsive. So as we go through this training progression anyways, this is where I think you will be served best, but also you'll be able to continue it in season because there is probably the highest rate of transferability to me would be in especially the uh, the isometrics that mm-hmm. we can do year round. And I don't worry about you doing those movements, even when you are playing a couple games that week. And it's rough on your body. I mean, I think that's the thing. It's very much a contact sport. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Right. So um, but you do have to have a certain amount of mass, but you have that. And I do remember uh, going back a couple years ago, we talked about how. Uh, you had worked hard at one point to kind of gain more muscle, right? Because mm-hmm. especially when you were playing for UConn, uh, you know, you you had to be a little bit bigger mm-hmm. than you were in high school. But there was a point where you started to lose your uh, vertical, for right. example. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you maybe speak on that a little bit, why um, you don't want to get, let's say, any more mass on you, but you want to sort of maintain what you have, but uh, transfer that power more relatively now. Yeah, so I think that was around, like, my sophomore year. And uh, I, I came out of high school guard. At UConn, they had me playing the post, which is much more physical. I was completely undersized, which I was never going to be able to grow taller. But I could make myself, you know, stronger and, and bigger and maybe harder to push around. Uh, but I I wasn't as, I don't know, like, buoyant is, like, the word that comes to my mind. I wasn't as bouncy, and I had lost my vertical. I didn't feel – I felt heavier on my feet. And – uh, but I had, I put on so much muscle. I was lifting more than I'd ever lifted. I was squatting more. I was benching more, but I was like, what, what do I have all this muscle for <laughs> right now? Cause I've, I'm not using it or I feel like it's, it's actually counterproductive at this point, almost, almost, which, which sounds like weird to say out loud, but that's, that's how I felt. And now, um, coming into the professional world, uh, you've given me so many movements that I, that I'm able to do so that when I do come back, I, I don't feel like we're starting from, from zero again. You know, like I feel like I, when I came back that summer, like Matt, I have all this muscle, but I'm not using it or I'm not as explosive as I was. We kind of had to go back to zero, which now I feel like when I'm in season, I'm doing different kinds of movements where I'm already doing so much on the basketball court and I'm already, you know, wearing and tearing on my muscle, and my body uh, enough as it is. So when I get off, I'm, I'm focusing more on, on these movements that you've given me that so I'm not going backwards again or so I don't have muscle that I don't necessarily need or isn't I'm not going to use so that's where my focus has has shifted yeah because when I talked about before uh working more on isometrics and mm-hmm. though that type of we're we're looking at um the accessory uh the accessory movements and the auxiliary muscles that support your primary movers mm-hmm. So I, I want the the listeners to understand this, that you are such a dominant athlete. Uh, for example, your quads can really overtake uh, your your position is is so quad dominant a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's easy to start to get some knee pain if you're not keeping up with the muscles that support your knee. Right. Mm-hmm. So. So, again, that's that's where we we kind of fall back to that style of training a little bit more. And uh, I kind of refer to it as tendon creeping. But the the tendons start to get healthier and stronger and doing movements like that. And uh, and again, you know, it's not to say that you don't do strength movements. You still we still do enough to maintain that. But right, that's right. that's where the emphasis is. But uh, OK, so I, I love I hope uh, people have kind of gotten a better idea about how an athlete like you would would train but Mm -hmm. do you ever take a day off for recovery do you ever have a day where it's like not playing basketball i'm just gonna chill out i'm gonna watch netflix i'm not gonna do anything but just sit here i mean do you ever have a day like that of course of course um i mean it's it's not hard for me to put on muscle (laughs) like that i know i'm not ever gonna really struggle in losing muscle like i can put on muscle in a week if i needed to but Especially this quarantine has been so weird because we, we don't know when the next time we're going to be have to be in basketball shape. We don't know when we're going to need to be ready. So it's trying to find this balance of, okay, do I need to be training really hard like I'm getting ready for a season in a couple of weeks? Or do I need to just be recovering for the next, like, because I might have a couple months off, you know? So especially in this quarantine, I've been like, 
I'm just gonna chill today. There's no need for me to do so. Sometimes I'll do something just for like the the mental aspect of it. But yeah, for sure, there, there's definitely days where I'm just like, I'm I don't have to do this. <laughs> like this is it is okay, and it's been really hard. For, I know some athletes, it's probably not that hard to say that, but for me, it's it's it, it's a lot easier than it used to be for me to, to tell myself that. Because I used to always think like, okay, if I, if I take this day off or if I, you know, if I, if I only do recovery today, then I lost a day, then I wasted a day. But uh, I think I've matured and realized that that's not the, the case necessarily. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, refueling your, your engine and recovering properly, it's not just the physical body. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely keeping your, your mind sharp and, and invigorated and, and looking forward to the next, uh, the next challenge. And I, I talk about that a lot. And I want to briefly mention about American sports because uh, you're a dual citizen, right? American mm-hmm. and, and uh, French, right? right? So the, just to, to me, uh, the difference has always been primarily in American training. We tend to train, moderately hard all the time or most of the time Mm -hmm. and it's like there's some sort of shame in having an easy day Mm -hmm. and i've mentioned this before on the podcast but i get a fair amount of criticism from other coaches and that's that's fine but because i don't like get my athletes so sore they had to go uh you know throw up or uh you know get them nauseous in their training or those type of things are not my goals and even just their max lifts you know Mm -hmm. that's not to me that's not why they're here and uh you know along those lines though what i have what i have found is that say i'm i'm training an athlete for a quality day and now i really want them to 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 go for it right Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of times their numbers are going to be off or they will have those days where we are trying to sort of see, really test them and see where they're at. And their numbers are off because they haven't properly recovered because on their easy days, they didn't take it easy or easy enough, mm-hmm. which means on their hard days, they're not able to go hard enough. Right. So ironically, even for people like that, that like never want to take it easy really they're kind of pussing out when it comes to the hard days they think they're working hard but they're not working nearly as hard as my athletes who actually took it easy on Mm -hmm. the alternate days right so um is there a difference to you that you've noticed between uh let's say over in europe versus here is there any difference there in uh in that athlete type of mentality uh i will say in america it is more about like the mental callus you know it is about like just you're going hard until you think you can't go harder and that kind of thing, which isn't, it's, it's not so much like that in Europe. Um, one thing I think that's lacking from both is as long, I feel, and I feel like this is what you preach is like, as long as we're doing it with purpose, like if you're recovering with purpose and on your hard days, it's with purpose, then that's when you'll improve and get better. Cause it's not like on my recovery days, I'm doing it because like, oh, I just don't feel like it. It's okay. I'm re- I'm recuperating. I'm doing this for a reason and I'm mindful about it which I, I, don't, I don't see really in, in either from all athletes uh, in Europe and, and in America. I think in Europe, it's um, a bit more traditional, a bit more old school as far as uh, the way you train. Um, and I think America, it's, it's a bit more focused on, I think there's a bit more um, education in, in Europe or in America, I mean. And it's, it's newer uh, while in, in Europe, it's it's just a bit more of the Olympic lifts and those kind of things. And just, uh, yeah, it's I, th- I think there's a bit more education in, in the States on this stuff because I think there's a lot more, like, personal trainers and people coming up in the industry, and, and, and it's a lot newer. And I see the education on nutrition in America uh, a lot more than I, I do in Europe. Um, so I would say that would be the difference, but I think either way, as long as it's just mindful and with purpose and you know, the reason why you're doing it, that's the most important thing. If you're just doing it because someone told you it was your easy day or because, you know, you, you want to run until you throw up, but, but why, why are you doing that? That's I, you just nailed it there where you talk about why, mm-hmm. If you you talk about purposeful practice makes progress, that's kind of like the quote that uh, I say a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, if I talk to an athlete, especially one that is not part of our culture here, and you ask them that very simple question, what is the purpose today? Mm-hmm. They can't answer it. Yeah. 
And that's, you know, to me, makes all the difference. If I have an athlete that can't answer why we're taking a recovery day, mm-hmm. then they're probably not going to give it the attention it deserves. Right. So I'm, I always try to educate my athletes on the why behind their training, but also many other things uh, like their nutrition and their recovery and, uh, of course, their, their mindset. So they, they, they can kind of connect to that and attach mm-hmm. to that a little bit better, right? Right. And um, as far as we <laughs> – I tell this story before, but with John Wooden and his Pyramid of Success, the first day I ever met you, mm-hmm. you uh, I, I have this big pyramid in my gym, and, and I pointed it out and said, have you ever seen this before? I figured you had because you were a basketball player. And uh, John Wooden's arguably the best basketball coach or any coach of all time, mm-hmm. right? You'd probably agree. Yeah. And so, but not only had you seen it, but you said you had had it up in your uh, in your house uh, since you were a kid, right? Right. So out of that, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but you have industriousness, enthusiasm, friendship. I mean, all these different things that lead to, uh, you know, your peak, right? Mm-hmm. What would you say has been the most important mental or mindset lessons that you learned from Wooden's pyramid of success? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, I would say the, the teamwork aspect of, of it has been the most, uh, influential on me. I've always like, I, I've always said that, uh, I've thought about this a lot more recently too, because I play for a different team every six months now, you know, is all right my numbers may not always be the same. I may not be the leading scorer on every team or leading rebounder or whatever, but I want people to, when I leave, I want people to say, man, I really enjoyed playing with Gabby Williams, no matter what, what it be the reason, whether it be just cause I was a good teammate or if that was fun to watch or fun to play with or whatever it is. I'm just like, okay, I want, I want to leave. And I want people to say like, Oh, well, you played with Gabby Williams. What was that like? Like, Oh, I, I love playing with her. Like, that's just what I, I don't know. And it's, it's intangible and you can't measure it, but that's just like my goal whenever I leave a team and it's my mindset when I go into a team. That's, that's, that's great. I, I actually didn't uh, think you were going to, to say that. And, <laughs> but it makes total sense because mm-hmm. again, I, I kind of already alluded to it before is all my athletes in here, they feel like so connected with you and uh, you leave a presence that way. And they do feel like you're a part of, you know, their team. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's very much a part of your, your personality. So I'm going to switch gears over to nutrition now, because yeah. I know that everybody, um, listening, it's probably interesting how, you know, you're a very active person, obviously you're the tower of power. I mean, you, you know, again, you, you pretty much own every, uh, record that we have in here for strength and power, uh, for our, uh, for our female athletes, especially, but in some cases for any athlete, mm-hmm. uh, Joey Gilbert, uh, you know, number three boxer in the world that trains with me, but, uh, still mad that he can't, uh, he can't beat a couple of your numbers. So, <laughs> I mean, you're, you've got some of our, some of our most outstanding and unbeatable records in here. Um, but how do you support that kind of athleticism? Do you, do you eat a hundred percent a plus nutrition all the time? Do you take days, uh, a day off or, uh, you know, have a cheat meal or how do you do those type of things? Do you track your calories? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I already know what you're going to say, but I, I really want people to hear this, especially guys, if you have a female, uh, you know, athlete or, or daughter or whatever, um, get them to listen to this podcast. I think it's so <laughs> important. Um, last thing I'll say mm-hmm. here on this subject is, I would purposefully tell my female athletes, especially how much you weigh, right? Because Mm -hmm. I want them to realize that, yeah, Gabby weighs more than you think and yet look at her. I mean, you know, you, you want to get to her, to her performance level and you, and, and, and the, the girls definitely want to have your physique. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, let's face it, you're very athletic but you're also very aesthetic I mean, you have you have very aesthetic uh attributes and that came from all the training so you know that's where i say um you know you you don't athletes don't uh don't diet right Mm -hmm. they eat and they train exactly and yet also athletes they don't really train for aesthetics they train for athletics and the aesthetics are there Mm -hmm. so these you know these athletes look up to you and um then when i you know light bulb does come on for especially for some of my uh female athletes that 
didn't realize that you weigh 20 pounds more than they do. Mm -hmm. And that gives them now permission to, uh, to put some muscle on. Right. And not to fear that. Um, so, you know, there's a lot again, that sort of unpack with that. And, but, uh, I know you can do it. So what, what Mm -hmm. would you say about your nutrition and how it affects, you know, your performance, those type of things? Yeah. I mean, the first, the, the first time I even thought about nutrition was like my first day with you and you were just asking me questions and you were like, okay, give your nutrition a, a grade. And I was like, oh, you know, not great. I eat out a lot, probably a C. But if I'm looking back at it now, it would have, it would have been an F. It would have been a zero out of 100. It was terrible. But I didn't, I didn't have the education on it, and I didn't think I needed it. I was like, well, I work out so much. What do I need to worry about what I'm eating? Because you think about eating, like your, your nutrition, uh, a lot of people are, are taught to think like the, the weight of it. Of, as long as you're burning it off, it's okay which uh, is not the case at all. Um, and especially like more recently, I've been educating myself a lot, lot more on, uh, you know, what proportions, what percentages. And of course, there's like a million and million theories. And it's just, I, I think now I, I've, I've found what works for me. And, and that's the most important thing. I've found what's, what's helped me recover the best. I've, I've found what's uh, given me the most energy before games or before practice and uh, experimented with a lot of different things, but just finding what works. Um, not, and this was hard too, uh, really, really hard for me, not for the weight aspect of it, not for the number on the scale, but for my effectiveness. And, um, and it's still, it's still really hard. Cause you do think of that number on, on the scale quite a bit, but you're like, okay, but some, so a lot of times I probably weigh myself only like during physicals now, you know, I almost never weigh myself or pay attention to it. Um, as long as my body just feels the way I want it to feel, as long as I look the way I want to look, I'm, I'm okay with it. Uh, and that's, I think, where the nutrition aspect um, comes in. And that's not to say I never have a cheat meal, you know. Of course I do. Uh, I don't count my calories as much as I, I used to. I did when I was just learning about it. But now I think I've kind of figured it out that I don't really need to anymore. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, after a game, of course, that's probably when I'll have my, my cheat meal. Um, you know, I'll have that like, pizza or, like, some, some heavy pasta and stuff. But, uh yeah, I mean, it's still you still want to, I still love food. <laughs> like I still enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, no, I I think you uh-huh. said it really well. It, you keep in mind that you want to get in the right amount of energy to support what you're doing, but mm-hmm. you're not obsessing about um, you know, how many calories you're in or if you're getting a, a deficit or, or these these type of things that I think can really throw athletes off. As a, as a coach, I've really tried to become aware too about just how how I refer to things or how I talk about things Mm -hmm. because, uh, like I'll just give an example of, um, abs, right? Mm -hmm. So most people probably want abs, you know, aesthetically. Mm -hmm. And yet there are definitely body types that hold more body fat in, in the, uh, in the torso, right? So it might be back or in the front, uh, the abs area or whatever. And yet they are, really they're at their optimal health and they're performing really well and uh so the the only way they're going to see their abs more at that point is if they create a deficit and the question is why yet other athletes playing the same sports same position whatever um and i've seen it with you where yeah you you know you you've got the you got the abs you can see the aesthetics there but that was not the goal. It just happened to be kind of how your body adjusted to the training mm-hmm. and, uh, and how your body hold, or where your body holds uh, fat, for example. So I just, you know, I, I think that's important to, to mention because I, I've heard a lot of even um, uh, coaches where you may be complimenting an athlete about uh, a feature like that, right. but yet got to be careful because who's listening? Another athlete who might not have that same feature, mm-hmm. exactly, right? Yeah. But yeah. they are their best version of themselves. And by the way, like really who cares, mm-hmm. right? It's like, are you, are you where you wanted to be? Did you get to your goal? Are you a professional athlete or whatever it was that you strove to be, right? right. You're there. Why should you obsess about something like that? Because it's in a magazine and telling us it's important, you know, I, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's a million different theories of, which I've learned, which I've, okay, oh, this person said this works, so I'm going to do this for, for three weeks or whatever it is. This person says this works. And I, and I was doing that and experimenting, but now I'm like, okay, this works for me. I feel the best when I eat this. 
And I think that's just what everyone needs to do. They just need to educate themselves on their own body, on what is good. Of course, there's there's plenty of research out there, but what re- everyone's body is so different. There's not two bodies that are the same, and not everything works for everybody. And uh, and I, I got a little bit annoyed with that, too. Um, I'm not going to say where, but uh, a lot of people, like, they were telling me how to eat. And I'm like, you have, okay, you can tell me this is unhealthy, but don't tell me what to eat or, you know, when I am, when you do see me making changes in my diet, don't tell me what works and what doesn't because you don't know. Unless you see the result being different, then then you can say something to me. Okay, maybe you need to, you look tired, maybe how many calories did you get? And okay, but you don't see that. You just don't, you just don't eat the same thing as me. That's right. And if you notice the professionals out there that actually know what they're talking about or if, if they are an RD or something like that, they don't speak in absolutes mm-hmm. and uh, they don't tell somebody, oh, you need to take X amount of calories because, right, right they don't pretend to, to know those things to be able to figure those things out, mm-hmm. right? And there's so many factors involved. How active are you right now? Also, how much you know damage are you doing to your tissues, et cetera, right? How much sleep are you getting? I mean, there's so many factors involved. So. Right. I do believe that you've learned to kind of go off your gut. And if I, if I need to eat, it's time to eat. I'm going to mm-hmm. eat. And these are the foods that generally make me feel better. That's essentially what you're saying. I don't count macros. I don't count calories, right? Yeah. And I want my athletes to learn to get there too. The, um, the, the thing I'll leave with on this, but maybe get your thoughts on it. But it, unfortunately, these days, now even men increasing cases of body image uh you know issues mm-hmm. the the female triad was has been unfortunately uh, a problem for as long as i've been coaching and uh it doesn't seem to be getting better even though we have more knowledge out there mm-hmm. um so do you have any advice for any uh you know young men or women out there um, or I shouldn't even say young, just men and women yeah, out there, exactly. boys and girls. I mean, yeah, uh, where where you think um, that they may be able to uh, benefit from uh, your example or other examples in the past that you've learned from here, uh, but yet you've still been able to get to the highest level of performance, just trusting your body. Yeah, I mean, everyone's kind of. I don't. I don't. I don't really know one person that hasn't dealt with you know body image dysphoria kind of thing and. I know I went through it and I mean, I went to extremes, you know, I went to the extremes of it. Uh, and I don't know what made me realize was like, this is just hurting me, you know, and it is hurting me. It is hurting everyone around me. And I don't know. I just, it just kind of clicked for me one day and I was like, I'm, this is not healthy. This is not healthy. I'm not, this is going to ruin my career. You know, if I keep, this is going to injure me. And that's when my, my mind, so I guess my advice would be like, the the image the physicalness of it or how you're looking in the mirror that's so different than what's actually going on inside of your body and that took me a a long time to realize which and it was weird because I didn't go through it before and then uh and I felt like I was really educated on nutrition but then I just started like okay well if if I was eating well then my then I would be a lot skinnier in these areas or I would have less fat in these areas and then I would go to extremes to try to get rid of that and then I learned oh that's there for a reason I'm using that I need that and so that would be my, my advice to everyone is, you know, what's what's going on on the outside is not necessarily what you need on the inside. No, that's so that's so well said. Mm-hmm. And I just again, I think a lot of athletes out there really need to hear this. So I'm glad you were willing to uh, to talk about that. I, I heard some things in there that uh, you were vulnerable about. And I appreciate that. I know mm-hmm. I know you've helped some listeners right now with that, too. So um, I, I just wanted to also just ask you you just um you were over in france and just talking about the whole covid situation but just mm-hmm. to kind of touch upon that uh, how has it been different over there versus here in the u.s i when i came back to the u.s i i was like embarrassed to call myself american <laughs> i was like i'm only using my french passport from now on um no i was really confused i still am confused i'm like what are what are we doing here like not everyone's on the same page when i was in france um, so we started our quarantine, uh, March 16th and it was strict. It was strict, strict lockdown. And, um, it was, you know, you can't leave the house unless you're going to the grocery store or the pharmacy. You can go outside for exercise or if you need to like walk your dog, but you have to be within a kilometer, you know, cops everywhere. We had to carry around a paper with our address, passports, explaining why we're leaving the house, uh, curfew. 
the president, um, he's amazing, Emmanuel Macron. He suspended all rent and utilities, all mortgages for all, every citizen of France. We all got this thing called uh, chômage, which is um, unemployment, but it's 84% of whatever you were making. So he was like, okay, well, if I'm going to ask you guys to stay in, I'm also going to take care of you and make sure, which here... It was kind of like, okay, well, we're going to close everything, but you can still leave, but you still have to pay rent, uh, but you can't work. And I was like, who's thought of this? But in France, I mean, the cases went down so fast, so fast. And and now, I mean, they're, they're slowly opening back up, but very, very responsibly. And I don't know. When I hear people talk about it in the States, I, I think just because I was in France, I'm like, they have no idea. Like, they just have no idea. There's no education on it. And uh, I don't know. I think I think in France they they really just like nipped it right in the bud. And I don't know. I'm very confused being in America. <laughs> yeah, I feel like a lot of us just don't know what to do. We don't know uh, where it transfers from because we. Uh, when I say that, I mean uh, we go from just being quarantined to uh, I know somebody who had a, a a gathering at her at her house and. Mm-hmm. You can have up to 50 people or something. So she invited like 50 people mm-hmm. to her house. And, and I, from what I heard, over 30 people actually went. Mm-hmm. And it was really cold out, so they were inside. <laughs> so uh, that's a whole nother subject. But I didn't – obviously, I didn't go to that. Um, but, um, you know, I just think it's uh, it's strange that – there's there's like no ramp yeah you know it's kinda... yeah well it makes it makes me sad too when i hear people say like well people are gonna die but that's normal uh but we have to worry about the economy and i'm like when did the economy quote unquote gets more important than human life <laughs> like that's yeah. that's where i think america is at you know let's say uh let's go on that now because i know you already said about um I know that you're a patriot, but uh, you just talked about um, with your feelings about some of the U.S. and, and mm-hmm. America. But uh, I think we are talking a little bit, too, about uh, the the George uh, Floyd mm-hmm. situation. And uh, and and you uh, I, I can also tell that you're frustrated. And, uh, you know, for, for those of you listening that don't know, um, you know, th- this uh, this uh, situation does affect Gabby and her community and her culture on on several different uh, levels. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it really I watched the I can't breathe uh, video and mainly because I felt like I I had to I, mean, I had to force myself to watch it. It made me sick to my stomach. Um, but I. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I told you that we, I thought it would be good for people to hear you talking about this. And, um, and it, it, I, again, I, I think that, um, that's where some of your frustration right now is, is coming from. So I know this is a hard subject, uh, to talk about, but, uh, what are your, what are your feelings on, um, you know, on the George Floyd situation? Yeah. I mean, like, like I just said, there's this feeling of almost like embarrassed of, of the country. And, and I don't want to feel that way. And that's what they say, you know, like protest is, is the best form of patriotism because I want to see America do better. You know, I, I am embarrassed of what's going on right now and I'm ashamed of it and, and I want to see it do better. But I think with, with this COVID thing going on, it's the first time. I mean, this is nothing new. This happens every single day, every single day. And someone just happened to catch it on camera. And that's the scary part. And I think with this COVID thing, it's the first time, you know, no sports, People aren't working. Um, you know, people are just staying at home on social media all the time, where a lot of people for the first time are like faced with it and have nowhere else to go, and you can't escape it. And it's making everyone sit and think and realize, and just realize how messed up a lot of things are in in America, and just how behind we are. I hear everyone saying, "Oh, well, it's 2020. Well, it's 2020," and I'm like, "What have we done before?" to change what's going to happen in 2020. We did nothing before that would that would change what happened to George Floyd. And that's where I get frustrated because I just hear, this shouldn't be happening in 2020. I can't believe this is happening in 2020. But if you look at it and you look at uh, our past policies and our lack of reform in certain places, you realize, oh, this was bound to happen in 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I would ask you too, um, mm-hmm. th- this is just a uh, maybe a question that uh, I have, but how would you identify yourself as your race? I mean, mm-hmm. so I, I identify as mixed as black. Uh, 
and it's funny being in France they see me they see me as mixed and I str I've struggled with this growing up especially being mixed race um how to identify you know not black enough for the black kids not white enough for you know the white kids and we have this this one drop rule in America where I've always just been called black I've only been black which I'm proud of and I'm so 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 proud of and happy with but it it just it shows you know in America, we have this thought that you don't touch white blood, you know? So if you have a little bit of something else that isn't white, you're now that ethnicity because you just, you just ruined this, our pure whiteness, you know, kind of thing. And that's what, I, what I've kind of uh, learned of it. And um, like we were talking about before the podcast, you know, we've always learned our history from, from the white perspective. And so when someone just goes a little bit outside of that, or and now I've learned why... I'm called black and not mixed in the States, but I am considered mixed in, in France, you know? And it's just, and that's the thing too, is we have more access to information and education than we ever had in the past. So I think that's why we see this big uprising and this big movement. And we're finally making steps forward because people are starting to access all these things and realize the history we were taught growing up is not our history. It's not true. And it, there's a reason why they taught it to us in these certain kind of ways. Yeah. Oh, it's so well said. Your mom is from France. Uh, her she's she grew up in America, but her family is French. Yeah. Okay, so that's yeah. how you. But that's you how I have the your... dual citizenship. Yeah. And so just to, yeah, I think so. We'll uh, we'll kind of wrap this up, but talking about what's next for you. Mm -hmm. um, and so I I know that we're preparing here for you to get back to basketball. And I know a lot of this is up in the air and uh, not so sure what's happening next necessarily. But you do have some things that probably are going to happen uh, going to uh, going back to France for the Olympics as well, right? Possibly. Uh, I mean. It'd be nice. It'd be nice to uh, join the three-on-three -three team, um, but with COVID, we don't know if uh, I'll be able to make the the qualifiers, or if there will be a qualifiers for me to for me to join. So that would that would be great um, for sure. I would love to go to Japan, but uh, Paris 2024 is you know definitely the next thing on on my list. Um, I've signed to to so play. So you're talking about the Olympics there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just because I know uh, you play over in Europe, so you're talking in this case about playing for France in the Olympics for basketball. You're right, right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as far as um, my professional career, uh, I'll be playing in Hungary in Sopron next year. Um, top top team in Hungary, another EuroLeague team. So I'm really, really excited for. I think it's going to be a great opportunity. Uh, I was really, really sad to leave France because um, being overseas, it's really hard when there's like a language barrier or kind of a culture shock. So it was nice to be in France and see my family and I could speak the language and I felt at home. Um, so, I mean, Hungary will probably be not as fun, but it's still a great opportunity basketball wise, which I'm really, really excited about. No, that's fun. And uh, I mean, you do get um, some pretty packed stands um, over overseas, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I was in uh, Girona in Spain, that was, probably like my favorite gym i've i've played in like it was really really fun and the energy out there out there they're allowed to have a uh, noisemakers and stuff so it's really really intense uh when you're the home team you know <laughs> it's it's really fun so yeah they're very very passionate fans over there it's yeah. less uh i feel like in the states it's more spectacle it's more you know we have the the lights they put on the, the billboard the tv thing there's always something going on during a timeout which which overseas they're there for the basketball yeah yeah no it's so gabby williams i mean we we actually gotta we have to actually go and train right now you've you're yeah. <laughs> you're here in the the gym where uh we're in our um office my office that we transferred a little bit of space over to the podcast space which uh i put online the other day and um every, everybody uh gave so many good uh nice comments and reviews we appreciate it and i'm going to actually put your photo up with my daughter mia uh for for uh this podcast so um everybody can uh can see uh how um how you've influenced um our culture here and i really honestly taking that picture with my daughter i just i thought wow how amazing is it that uh she can look up to gabby and what gabby's mm -hmm. done and what she's doing and realize that she can she can be um anything she wants to be too and it doesn't you know we've talked a lot obviously about athletics and that is health and fitness is is what we talk about here but i've always believed 100 percent in these 
um, industriousness, enthusiasm, these uh, these ethics that you have gained over the years is going to transfer to anything that you want to be successful in. It's part Thank of your you. process. Yes. Um, so, and I so much appreciate uh, having you on and, and having you as an example for my athletes. Uh, anything that you would like to say in, in closing? No, I mean, educate yourselves, <laughs> educate yourselves, uh, go beyond the textbook, I guess is I think the moral of this whole podcast yeah, no, abs- absolutely. I I love uh, the lessons we've learned, and I, I know that uh, I'm going to have you on again at some point. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, hopefully it's going to be sooner than later, but mm-hmm. uh, if you guys have questions about uh, this podcast from Gabby or for me, um, just go ahead and email us, Aaron at PandolaTraining.com. That's the email we use nowadays. You can go to our website, and that's at PandolaTraining.com. And um, also, remember, you we have a newsletter that comes out. You can subscribe for that there. We just put out a new newsletter yesterday on better breathing as well as fat adaptability for endurance. So uh, just, um, you know, we call that one the skinny on fat adaption, but it's, it's actually a play on words because we don't believe there's any single way, uh, hint, hint, for an athlete, as we <laughs> talked about today. So it just, it just gives you more of the details about uh, – what your options are or may be. So uh, hopefully you will sign up for the newsletter. And then Gabby, where could people follow you if they're interested? Yeah, so I'm on all social media platforms, um, Instagram, Gabby Williams, Twitter, Gabby Williams 15. Um, you can follow uh, Sopron Basket if you want to follow me next year in, in Hungary, and you can follow Chicago Sky. I know I'm following you. So thank you so much, Gabby. And uh, guys, we'll talk to you next time.